Hey, what's up, guys? You're listening to K and A, short for Kanda. This is Lama or Anthony. Sorry, <laughs> the A doesn't make much sense, man. After that, right? <laughs> I fucked up our intro, but it's all good. It's all right, keep it in, man. Keep it in. Yeah, we'll keep it in. Yeah, this is Anthony. This is Kiefer. <laughs> sorry. It's a good second episode, man. It's a fantastic second episode. Yeah, and you're, you're tuned into K and A. Kanda, you know? It's like, what was the other word of that, that uh, not banter, but the other word that was to describe what Kanda... Uh, it, it, it was Kanda, man. It was Kanda, but there was... Which, a... which I have to correct, because last time I said it, it meant discussion, but it actually means openness. It actually means being open and sort of like... Uh, basically being uh, relaxed and chill with your conversation. So it's an old world of like trusting someone, being out in private hey. relationship. Yeah. Well, so there's, it works well, man. Yeah, it does. Because there's definitely been a lot of candor so between, far. so far between <laughs> us, and we probably could have recorded a gazillion episodes by now. But yeah. um, we were just enjoying that that candidness of candor. Yeah. <laughs> I just I just speak too softly for us to record it all the time. Yeah, no, this yeah. is true. I, 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 I have been too polite to ask you to actually speak up. But yeah, since we're no, recording, no, okay. I need you to speak up, brother, brother. You know what it is? What is it? It's cause, because my mum was mm. really, really loud oh, as a kid, right? Right. So she, and she didn't know how loud she was. So, um, yeah, I always had to sort of modify my speaking to make sure that I didn't have that same sort of embarrassing, <laughs> loud tone. So, so how, did you, how did you come across that concept but like what made you want to be more quiet were you told off i don't know no i don't it just happened just organically like seeped, seeped into my mind and whoa yeah what a trip hey because like that makes me think about my daughter and she's really loud yeah like she is like the female version that's not the splitting image of me <laughs> you know yeah like from dancing to how loud she is to how she's uh they call it KY. Yeah. Cookie Yomenai. Yeah. Can't read the air. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, what's that what's that um, in um, English? Oh um, man, I know I know the exact I know the exact phrase you're phrase, talking about because yeah, I've heard it in yeah. Japanese and I'm like what is it? There's a there's Just, a there's a there's a how do you, it's hard to translate. Yeah. It's not it's not kinda of like reading a tone mm. but it's kinda of like uh you walk into a situation and you just don't know yeah what's going on oh, man I was in a book recently oh bullshit yeah no I was reading this book um, by this guy Ryu Murakami who's oh. not, not Haruki Murakami right uh, and he writes these really fucked up like novels in Japan <laughs> and he's actually he actually he's actually the, uh, the more known well known Murakami's favourite author Oh, and lots of people, even in Japan, don't know. Because when I go there, and I'm going like, "Oh yeah," like oh, I've been reading uh, real Murakami, and they're like, "Who Murakami?" Oh yeah, uh, like Norwegian Wood, and yeah, I'm like, no no no, "No, no, 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 no." His favorite Murakami. No, no, yeah. no. The the favorite Murakami of Murakami. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> he's got this book, man. That's that's probably his most famous Western book, which is called In the Miso Soup. What? And it's all set in Kabukucho. Yeah. It's all about the red light district, and it's about this guy whose profession it is to take Westerners around to red, like brothels and stuff Whoa. in that area. And he, he meets this American who can't read the room, and, and like he says that, that concept, like what the Japanese call. And 
Yeah, that, that's how I got introduced to it. So I know exactly what you're trying to say, but I'm trying to like work out how you personify that. Like, I mean, I, I, it just come English. up, you know, like someone who can't read the atmosphere. Yeah. But it's almost like a killjoy as well. Yeah, yeah like but it's... kind of like someone who's it's really it's almost hostile to engage with because mm. they they come into a situation. Mm. It's a very Japanese thing, yeah. though. Like it's so like. It's just yeah, someone that's I guess you know for lack of better words right now is like. Uh, and now I've lost it. Far, I was gonna say, um, someone that's just a bit socially awkward. Yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah. like in a way where they'll just come in and they just me 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 talk 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 talk. Mm, yeah. yeah. And it's funny that my daughter is like that. That's really interesting, man. <laughs> yes, and it is an orchestral plot twist, Kefar. And what is this plot twist? The plot twist is... Words that don't have a direct English translation. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's heaps. So many. You know. Especially in Japanese, You man. know, We yes. could just do an episode on that, man. Yeah, totally, but bro. There's, there's heaps. There's absolutely heaps, even in, in French and... Um, German and it's, oh, especially German, man. Oh, really? German has a lot of like words that you cannot, it, just concepts. Right. Just like abstract concepts that there's just no word for. Man, um, what's, English. what's going on English? Like English, you, you got to get your shit together, English, like, and you know, like come up with new words. Mm. That's probably what the next 30 years of our lives, you know, as a collective conscious, <laughs> need to start creating you know like for example this one that we just mentioned in the prior segment <coughs> i said ky and in my mind when i was learning japanese and living in japan i thought ky and maybe it is ky mm. but you know like japanese have this uh tendency to like uh create what is it when you uh you you merge two words elision. together elision an elision is it yeah or a contraction. It depends because you can you can you can smash words together. Yeah, and it's an illusion. Illusion. Yeah. Or you can have like can and cannot. Like like. Ah uh, yes, can't. Yeah, that's right. a contraction. And that's a contraction. And then you've got um, a portmanteau, which is like kind of like K and A. Yeah. You know where you put you mix two names together. Mm. You know, which is very common in the Philippines, right? Okay. But K Y stands for kuki yomenai. And kuki means air, you know, and yomenai means unable to read. So when I when I do this translation here in my Japanese dictionary app, it says unable to read the situation or unable to pick up on the mood of a conversation. And it gives you an example. Example, A and B are complaining about C and D joins the conversation praising C. Yeah. What an example, man. That sounds so typically Japanese. That's, dude, that's an anime trope, for sure. Right? Like, you know, like... Right? I can just imagine, like, a couple of schoolgirls bitching about someone and someone coming in, like, the really cute character. Yeah, I was in, about to like, say cute, too. Like, oh. and, that, um, and that's supposed to be kawaii. Like, the fact that they can't read that situation and get themselves into, you know, a socially awkward situation. It's right. It's, like, part of, part of the whole, like, uh, culture. And, you know, it's interesting. I don't know if you would have... You 
thought about this too, but as soon as this kawaii cute character comes in and says that, the other two like drop onto their heads, onto yeah, their faces, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's very Japanese. That's your daughter. That's my daughter, <laughs> man. <laughs> She's gonna be that character. <laughs> she is that character, man. Like, we were, I remember we were having dinner once with my, my ex's um, parents, right? Mm. And we're sitting there. And you know, little kids, they she's because my daughter's turning six next month. She just starts rambling on about something random, and then someone goes, What you talking about? and then they'll go, Oh, I'm not sure what she's talking about, you know, what kind of hen, what kind of hen, you know, like, and then she'll say something after they've asked her a question, and then quite literally, all three other Japanese people in the room, besides myself, because I'm not Japanese, they just went, Oh, they just did this like full, like an anime drop. Which oh, is funny man. because I've only seen it in animes. Yeah. And I had mates that hated that kind of like humor. They're like, why did I do that? Yeah. To only realize that they do it in real life, man. What a trip, bro. I mean, that's like, I mean, I, it's, it's kind of like direct parallel would be, uh, you know, a character who, who would come in and, and just say the wrong thing all the time or like be blissfully unaware of a situation and say something stupid like it's the same type of humor it's just done in a cultural language that's totally different yeah and you know the reactions played up so much like the japanese are kind of like their humor is very slapsticky mm. in a way but not in a like you know hurt yourself like kind of like um charlie chaplin sort of thing but like in a you know social slapstick yeah like this thing will happen and people will create this reaction and the reaction's funny and they're funny and yeah it's it's I used to I used to really hate that as well, like that over exaggerated reaction and stuff. Right. Like what what's so funny about that? But when you learn about how social interactions happen in Japan, it's kinda of like, oh now I get it. Like I it now clicks. Now it's funny. You know, it's interesting, Kiefer, because spending three years in Osaka and you know, having a relationship with a woman from Osaka for about ten years, you know, solid. Like, I picked up on a lot of cultural differences from people that were from Osaka or the Kansai region, yeah. that whole Western region that includes Kobe and Kyoto with Osaka, um, to other Japanese people. And it's funny how, literally how funny the the Kansai people are yeah, like they, how they, slapsticky man, they you're are you're right you're right now that I think about that um they are they are very into humour yeah. like into over the top stuff yeah. like it's in comparison especially to like when you go further south yeah. and you go sort of like to Kyushu oh uh, right yes stuff, which like people are very like reverent and like relaxed and chill yes and kind of like a little bit funky before you go to Okinawa and it's all like you know Surfer dudes, yeah, and, you know, island, very islander, yeah, islander. Yeah. but it's very islander there in Kyushu as well. Like, yes, especially like Kagoshima and places yes. like that. Right. Yeah, in in I remember the experiences I had in uh, in the Kansai area. People just love to like have a joke and laugh and like point fun, but not in Tokyo as much. Mm, Tokyo no. is like this very not relaxed or, or reverent like like in the South Islands, but like uh, very almost formal. Almost yes. like eggshell walking, like you know, yeah. you don't want to you want to crack a joke because you might offend that person, mm. and you know mm. people you meet from Osaka are very open, yes, very like welcoming and and kind of like will will just like straight away go into like trying to find out how they can have a joke with you and have a laugh and it's 
I think people don't get to see that as much no. when they travel because, like, you really have to interact with people on a on a sociable level. Yes, and I so I learned that by going to, like karaoke bars and stuff and hanging out in Shinsekai and Tenoji and those places. Bullshit! And, you yeah. did that. You're yeah, hectic, dude, yeah, bro. Dude, That's the yeah. ghetto, man. Yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We walked straight into one once. Me and <laughs> me and a couple of mates who were there, and uh, we're walking um, uh, just in the in the part that goes towards towards Shinsekai. Sort of near the the just near the zoo station, near the Tanoji Zoo station, and it's very run down. There's like yeah. a market stalls and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and the Butsu and Maya. So great, man! Yeah. It's so gritty and like, you know, it reminded me of like Preston and Laylor and stuff Bruh. because it's got that Preston Markets like feel to it, man. Yeah, it's real hood, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's super, super cool. And we were just walking past one, and we were like, "Yep, yeah, go in." And like you had the the regular guys that are, and and girls who were drunk already yeah. at like six o'clock, yeah, you know, just singing their hearts out, and they were just like so enamored with us, man. They were so so yeah. so enamored with yeah. these Westerners who would yeah. come in yeah. and trying to find out what we were doing there. Yeah, they loved and it, man. Yeah, they loved it. They were like having a laugh and like were so eager to just like bring us in and have a joke, man. Bro, I'm gonna I'm gonna do that next time I visit. I just didn't have the money or the time, being a father. This this recent trip this last month but man you know like what you're telling me it it, it lines up with what my my ex father-in-law has said to me that back in the day that that gap from um tenoji jr mm. station to the zoo into shinsekai mm -hmm. used to just be like open land really and so in the 90s or even in the 80s during the boom yeah bubble right all these street stalls, I mean, like little tent stalls would open up. And so as soon as people would finish work, they would all go there and get their takoyaki and yakitori <laughs> and all the, all the street foods, but in a sort of park setting. Yeah. And they would be singing karaoke outdoors till, you know, the early hours of the morning and then just go back to work and do it all over again. Yeah. Constantly, well, bro. Well, dude, that karaoke scene is definitely still there in that area because, mm. like, there is, like... Hundreds of those little tiny bars that may only fit like seven people in them, but they're just there all night. They don't, they don't close. You know what? I'm gonna have to cut you off. Sorry, man, but That's like okay. just before this segment ends, I just want to say that Shinsekai, if I'm correct, means new world. New world, yeah. Right. And here we're talking about the old world <laughs> of Osaka, Japan. And in my recent trips over the past year, I've realized how that old Osaka world is disappearing. Mm. You know, the stuff that I saw 10 years ago and hearing, Oi, Maido, Okini. You don't hear that traditional greeting from <coughs> Osaka Jins anymore. Mm. So this area known as Shinsekai or uh, Dobutsuen Mae. Yeah. Uh, and the surrounding suburbs of... Uh, or what are they? They're not suburbs. They're like it's not a prefecture. It's like what wards? are they? Wards. Wards. Yeah. wards. Even the yeah. even the word ward sounds gritty. Gritty. Man. Yeah. Yeah. The the wards of Tenoji and uh, Nishinari, which has got a hectic history. Um, it's funny you you'll mention to a Japanese person not from Osaka, mm -hmm. say something. I mean, you tell them about. Oh, I, I would tell them that I used to live near this area called Tenoji, and they were like, whoa, that's a, <laughs> that's a hardcore place. It's definitely got a negative stigma attached to it, hey? That's, that's interesting, because, like, the JR station, 
mm. where where Tenoji Zoo is and that that's all being gentrified. Yes, like it has. really hardcore. That park that they built there and that. Yeah, you've, like, oh, you've been to that yeah, new park. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's insane. It's really nice. Yeah, like, there's a little there's a little like um it's like a pet store slash like pet course where you can take your dog. Yes, and they run around. Yes, and stuff in this little thing. It's awesome. Like, but it's also like you then walk ten minutes away, and it's super working class, super poor. Like yep. lots of people with mental disabilities as well living there, and like, yep. and it's like, oh fuck, this is like, this is like a gentrified suburb. It's like, what's going on here? It's pretty interesting because you'd think, like, especially if you've travelled through different parts of Japan, that, and you realise how safe the streets are, mm. that ghettos are non-existent. But here is one that's sort of like it's so almost like that typical tale of on one side of the the street. Is the where the prom, you know the up high society lives, yeah. And on on that side of the street that you're standing on is like the hood, man. Which is like Manila, man. Yes, very much like Makati, Manila. Yeah, it's it's fucking crazy, it's man. Like I, like I told you, man. When I was in Makati, like they're building Trump Tower, and around the corner there's kids playing with no shoes on the streets, and like cats that are like starving to death. Mm. It's yeah, super like. Black and white. Black and white, yeah. There's you, no grey. There's no grey in that area, man. And, and, and you have to find a place like that in Japan. Man, like, um, it's funny, too, that that's sort of like the... I mean, it makes sense that that's where all the tourists go mm. when they book online because it's the cheapest place. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's cheap hostels there, cheap Airbnb there. But um, it's, it's worth going to, man. Like, it's got character. Mm. If you're an adventurer and you really like, you know, getting into the gritty areas... That's definitely like the place I recommend people to go to. Mm, mm. If you've got, if you're not scared, you know, and and you've got the balls, and usually you still wouldn't really get. No, nothing's gonna happen it's, to you. You know, like, it's not Japan's. Even that place is not a place to get mugged. It's not like you don't do that in the Philippines. You, know? <laughs> you yeah. won't do that in the Philippines. Yeah. But in 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 that area of Tenoji, Tenoji, and 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 Shinsaka, yeah, no, they're they're still generally quite nice. On that on that note, right? Um, Lonely Planet. Got mm. in a lot of trouble, really, uh, from people from Shinsekai, because they'd written in their write-up uh, in one of their books uh, about Japan uh, about Shinsekai, saying that it is a dangerous place. Right, that you shouldn't go walking around at night there. Mm. Kind of thing. And it actually killed off uh, an amount of tourism. Oh no! And, shit. Yeah, they and the people of that area. Uh, I'm not sure if it was the prefecture or the Osaka government or whoever. Um, were really upset about it, or it might have been a community group or something, and they got it changed and got it taken out mm. uh, of that book. So it was people were looking at it and going, oh, "I'm not going to go there." Then, mm, mm, when mm. you know, it's I've never felt unsafe there. True that, yeah, no, me neither. I mean, I when I was working as a removalist in Japan, I think the in Japanese it's a haken, it's mm-hmm. a kind of work like agency work, right? I remember having to ride my bicycle through through Shinsekai. You know, after the railway, yeah, right, and I looked to the left, man, and I knew I was getting deeper in, right. But there was this truck that came, and I felt like the Philippines, man. This truck came in to pick up workers, like something out of like a Mexican, yeah, you know, like hectic immigration, illegal immigrant style. You know, it was like that, and all the men that were lining up were ashy, like. Oh, wow, man. <laughs> Homeless guys. But what's funny is, like, I remember giving, trying to give 1,000 yen to um, a homeless guy um, in Yodoyobashi. Uh, yeah. yeah, just after the Tomburi, when mm-hmm. you're walking through the short yeah. ten guys there, the arcades. And the guy, didn't, he, he shook his hand. 
he was yeah. like, no, 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 don't, don't give me that, you know? You know, it's really trippy that um, Shin Sakai has been the focus because even when I was there last month, uh, a friend of mine that's living in Osaka at the moment was was talking about going there to do a film shoot, you know, okay. because he's, he's a big fan of Wong Kar Wai, like yourself, yeah. you know, um, and, you know, like those arcades or, or Shotengai um, have these really moody, gritty vibes about him. You know, that's the place, man. It's that, the place uh, near the do Dobutsu and Mai, Mai, yeah, uh, on the subway. Yeah, that place is like definitely the place to do a Wonka Wai thing. There's like loads of like mahjong parlors that are like closed off. You can just yeah. sort of see in there a little bit, and there's yeah. smoke coming out of it. And there's this one thing there in in that arcade. That, uh, I remember it's a love heart, and it's like rope light, and people put locks on it. Yes, yeah, I have yeah. seen that. Yeah, far. Yeah. And it's got that thing of like you can just imagine like a profile shot, someone walking past that in like a, you know, that Wong Kar Wai style. As soon as you said it, I'm like uh, clicking those visuals together, and I'm like, yeah, yeah that's the place, man. man. Yeah, definitely gotta uh, undo the damage that Lonely Planet has done. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that. I never knew that about Lonely Planet, but I'd like to think that Lonely Planet, as a credible source, mm. right? Would have had to get that co-signed by some Japanese people. You'd assume. Or, or yeah, you'd assume, right? Some Japanese authorities, and 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 I I um, you brought it up earlier on about the differences between guys in Tokyo, or the culture in Tokyo, and then the West, and then further south. But like, there's this this concept I learned, and again, it's it's another um, it's another word that uh, doesn't, doesn't have. An, an, an English translation, and it's the word tate mae. And um, tate is, I thought, meant standing, mm -hmm. like tatsu, but it's actually a different word. It means build, build okay. tatsu, yeah? And then mae, which means your front. And tate mae actually uh, translates as face, official stance, or public position or attitude, as opposed to private thoughts. So it's kind of like a shield, yeah. a, 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 a cultural way to look professional, mm. to look polite, to look like you're a person that you could, you know, you're a person that someone can approach and work with. Yeah, it's, know, like, a, it's like a friendly face. A friendly face, yeah. yeah. And and in, in that part of Japanese culture, I mean, I, I felt it in, in Osaka as well, but yeah, this tatemae, it's that culture of people that would have probably been like, Ooh, you know, like these suits, these yeah. proper people, like don't go there. They're pretty rough. Yeah. They they don't speak um, polite Japanese. You know, it's a bit dirty there. You well, know, it, like, it is the it is a, the lower working class area. You know, like you said, with these guys jumping on trucks and going out to do hard labor and that. It's not, it's not like the place that other Nihonjin would look at as being. That's the place you want to go. You yep, know? and it's and it's funny you mention that, bro, because this working class, right? It popped up like an old memory. I'm always interested in in historical facts, yeah. Yeah. But those people, working class, especially from that Shinsekai Nishinari area, they're known as the descendants, or or actually, sorry, 
reading this translation, the, the Burakumin. It's modern-day descendants of Japan's feudal outcast group. Wow. So the Burakumin were people who, who you know, probably according to a Buddhist uh, religious sort of observation, is those people who had to deal with, like, um, embalming people. Um, what are those people who 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 kill officially, like by law? Oh, uh, um, uh, it's not our day for words. Yeah, you know, like undertakers, um, people who slaughter animals for food. You know, laborers. These are the Burakumin. Yeah, and that Shinsekai area. It's funny because there used to be an OG Ferris wheel back there. Back in the early 1900s. Oh, wow. And that's why it was called Shinsekai. Yeah. Quite literally, the New World. Yeah. But then... Could, after... It was for a World Fair or something, wasn't it? Yeah. something they built it for. Yeah, yeah, the World Fair, you know, International World Fair. But I think after World War uh, Two, it started to go on a decline. Yeah. So it's quite interesting to, um, to note, uh, like, class differences especially in a place like Japan, mm. you know, where you'd think the middle class um, and the upper class are more... And see, I guess they are more of the prominent cultures or, or, or hierarchical groups in, in the country, but a lower class is... A lot of people aren't privy to see the lower class. No. Like, you know, like, especially, like, the class of um, people, that socioeconomic group that... That let's say the yakuza recruit from you know yeah. like my friend was telling me about stories of like far west japan right so on the way to shikoku okay. yeah on the way to his kobe in that general direction that's north i think wherever it is yeah it's like where you see school kids hanging out the front of the school shirts untucked because you know all the schools are yeah, very uniform yeah, yeah, based yeah, yeah. yeah like the ones you see in the anime yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah. or in the, in the manga right and they've got their ties hung loose they've got like their own fashion yeah. you know they're wearing sneakers and their the hair is dyed their chins pointed and noses pointed up like mm. <laughs> whatever and they're smoking ciggies but they're little teenagers with like blonde hair you yeah. know like even the girls act like gangster you yeah. know like this this whole like thing makes sense when you realize that back in the day there was a pretty official caste system mm. in Japan, you know, and to to bring up burakumin and the the descendants of an outcast group in Japan, you know, it's very interesting. It's almost like colonialism happening within itself. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You it's know, a, um, how would you put it? It's like it's such a homogenous culture mm. and like. It it it's so rigid mm. that any kind of like you know uh, if you don't want to toe the line mm. and and sort of move into that socioeconomic class, you automatically kind of get pushed to the wayside. Mm -hmm. Like it's like there's one way to play the game and that's it. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it it's very similar. I mean, it's similar in Western society as well. We have expectations, and we especially like if you go back fifty years, yep. we we're much more like that. Yep. Um, even even now, like. Uh, you go to the working, if the, you know, working class people, and you're like a bit of an outcast or a bit of a hipster mm. or a bit of a goth or alternative or whatever, mm. and you're treated like a, what's wrong with you? Yes. Like, why are you doing this? And that's even more so in Japan. Mm. Like it, there's this real like solid expectation to fit into a group, 
and to be part of that group. And that, that, that's, a, that's a philosophical thing as well mm-hmm. for Japan mm-hmm. because the group consciousness is actually like a, a, a... Something I've been reading recently is a book on the Japanese psyche. Right. About how, uh, how to learn about concepts that exist in Japan that have created uh, the current society the way it is. And one of them is about the prominence of group consciousness and about how uh, everything you do is for the group. Everything yes. must be for the group, group being society. Yes, yes. As a whole. Yes. Um, because of the fact that farming communities, when Japan, when civilization first started, had to rely on each other because there's not a lot of land that's actually farmable there. Yes. Uh, which is most true. people don't know because it's quite lush, but there yes. isn't a lot of farmable land. Yes. And that these villages and towns had to be really close, tight knit groups. And if you weren't going to be part of that village and you weren't going to work and, and be, you know, help everyone prosper, you mm. got kicked out. Mm. Mm. So that mindset's still there. Mm. That if you're not going to work as part of Japan, mm. then you have no place here. Right. Yeah, and that's that's something that like seems really callous for us. Yeah. But makes sense if like you have a history that goes as far back as Japan does. Yes. That culture that culture is so uh, untouched in a lot of ways in comparison to Europe because mm. Japan's never been invaded never been taken over other than by Americans, yeah. but like has never historically had that thing of culture mixing. So these ideas have like stayed very static mm. uh, for a long time. And they've kind of, any culture that has come in, say from China or other places, that those ideas have melded then into that, into Buddhism and, and other groups. And it's it's a really fascinating read, man. This, wow. this book I'm reading at the moment. I need to check that out. You know, it's it's really interesting you you telling me about that, Kiefer, because like that's sort of been the thematic of a lot of my thoughts recently. You know, because we're very individualistic here in the West, and everyone, especially in this time of of the world, yeah, like uh, like stressing about money and work and career and whatnot. That these maybe it's just me, but these real basic concepts of you know family and unity you know um uh, aren't as prevalent you know in my life but interestingly enough we're bringing it into the context of like society yeah but because you know like you have the suzuki clan and the matsumoto clan and the you know tanahashi clan Mm. and like because their their surnames are written in kanji you can find out what the their surnames mean yeah. So like of the rice fields mm. or the or like Kumagai, like Bear Mountain, you know, the bears of the mountain tribe, you know, like or clan, you know, it's like it sounds very tribal to me. Yeah. And then that this saying would have stemmed from like strong tribal clan style roots, but now has just become this one massive homogenized, you know, Japanese clan. Yeah, that works in a uh, like uber hyper cosmo corporate world. Yeah, you know? it's it's, bec- it's that that idea of like the clan has become kind of like a macrocosm in Japan, and it's the whole the whole country is the clan now, right? Yes, like, yes, know, yes. Um, Thank you, Oda Nobunaga, for uni- yeah, unifying that, that, That's exactly Japan. where I was going with this. Like, right. from, from unif- I mean, that's why unifying Japan was such a hard thing to begin with. Yes. Because you had these very, like, 
you know, uh, structured, ordered groups who had no interest really in unifying. Yes, yes. Because um, everything had been just going the way it had been That's for years, it. For yeah. centuries. That's it. They were all there was all that civil war. They were all vying for power among over the other clan, the neighboring clans, and yeah. yeah I, know, I mean, look, you look at Japanese history, and um, really, their their start <coughs> to 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 move to like uh, semi modernism before the Americans got there and kind of like forced them into modernism, mm. uh, started there with unifying, becoming an, a nation. Yep. And then from there, things sort of stagnated when they become xenophobic and mm. locked off their borders. Yeah. But uh, before that, they were kind of starting to move to being a real, you know, modern culture at that time. Yeah. By unifying. That's interesting, man, because I think pre-modern Japan, mm-hmm. if we can call it that, um, perhaps was a result of their early interactions with the West. Oh, 100%. You know, like with the, um, I believe it was the Jesuits mm-hmm. that copped a lot yeah. of flack. The Jesuit priests who yeah. went over there. Yeah, from Portugal. Yep. Yeah, and also the Dutch, mm-hmm. you know, and then the whole, like, obviously the political advantage for these clans to obtain gunpowder yep. and guns. You know, but apparently I was reading this book. I can't remember what it was called now. Like, it was just a preview on Google. So I couldn't read the whole book. But it was talking about Christianity in um, in Japan. And one of Oda Nobunaga's um, regular guests were the Jesuits. Jesuits mm. You know, um, but actually like being hospitable with these guys. And yeah, I don't know. Sorry, sorry. Well, yeah, that. I mean, from what, from what I understand, like, you know, this is only a cursory sort of glimpse that I have into Christianity in Japan mm. uh, because it is incredibly interesting was that basically it was a culture clash that caused them to sort of force the Christians out. Yeah. Was that the, uh, maybe even these individualistic sort of thinkings of Western society that come sort of like from Christianity of you're special, you're made in God's image. Yeah. You know, uh, started to like make a lot of farmers and things revolt. There were a lot of uh, rebellions and things that happened through Christian teaching, which politically also, you know, the church wanted to happen because that was what they kind of did in a lot of countries mm. was they'd mm. send missionaries over and destabilize governments mm. and then eventually, you know, lead to invasion. I think the Japanese were really uh, paranoid about that. And that's why when the xenophobic period happened, it happened so harshly. Man, this Kanda. Uh, has become Japanese banter, <laughs> bro. Let me let me uh, read this one. Hey, um, this is one of these translations uh, that I think is a really important one. Is in context of what we're talking about. It is derukui wa utareru, which translates to the stake that sticks out gets hammered down. And you know you can change um, stake or kui. Um, in place of kugi, which uh, means a nail, mm. you know, but it's kind of like a a, a beam, a, a post for for the traditional architecture of Japan, and I think they still use it in their construction today, you know. So it's yeah. it's basically tall poppy syndrome. Yeah, you yeah, know? pretty much. It's kind of like imagine you're walking on floorboards and there's a nail sticking out. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you can hit that nail down. Mm. That is exactly it, man. And I've heard a lot of people actually bring that up in relation to tattoos in Japan. Ah, yeah. Not speaking in regards to the Yakuza, mm. but speaking in regards to the modern youth 
uh, getting tattoos and piercings mm. uh, as part of like the um, Western enamored kind of like punk or like you know counterculture scene uh, that uh, a lot of uh, yeah kids get told that basically as a way to reinforce don't get get in with those guys don't dye your hair yellow mm. don't fall in with a bad crowd because you're gonna get na- hammered down yes yes you know? yes yes it's divine punishment this divine pun- punishment you know it's interesting because I'm gonna go on a, on a bit of a tangent with this but I always thought you know the samurai historically obviously were a class of their own right but didn't realize they were actually the upper class mm. of Japan you know, so beneath royalty, if not royalty themselves. Yeah, well, eventually they became governors. Yeah. Know, after the after the unification. Yeah. Yeah. That's hectic, man. Like, yeah. because, you know, like, I would think of samurai to be, like, more noble versions of the police. Yeah. You know, like, they would uphold the law, you know. And, of course, there'd be ones that have fallen off the wayside, you know. <laughs> but they were all... They all had a chivalrous cause... You know, like they were all like, like a, like a Western, but with samurai swords, mm. you know, there's a lot of honor. There's a whole lot of seriousness. It's interesting you bring this up as well. Cause I've just started reading a book on the history of the samurai. <laughs> this guy. Brief history of the samurai, right? What? It's like 400 pages long, but it's a brief history. Whoa. Uh, all about, uh, moving from a warrior class, a soldier class to then like essentially an elite bodyguard class to then becoming the governors and the rulers of towns. Right. Which um, is where all the romanticism come from, you know, uh. was that point because you had people in charge and it's kind of like, well, why are you in charge? And it's like, well, I come from, I'm, I'm part of the samurai class. I'm descended, mm. you know, from these, you know, uh, amazing warriors. It's kind of like a, it's almost like a eugenics type thing, like a bloodline. Yes. That, that's why I'm in charge. Yes. I yes. come from, from that class, uh, which is almost like a caste system in a lot of ways yeah well that's it like I'm looking up because um, as, a, as a dancer right mm. I would interact with some Japanese b-boys and um, when explaining how a certain person or b-boy was conducting himself I can't quite remember the context you know like when it happened but we were talking about it and he said my friend said to me that's Bushido mm. which is the samurai code of chivalry and it's interesting that that kind of samurai code sort of exists culturally right across the spectrum, mm. where the, the housewife is making a little cute bento box with octopus-looking, you know, Frankfurt sausages, the discipline that she puts into it, you know, or, or the discipline she has to like make that thing perfect for her little kid's, you know, lunch box yeah is just just why i think That's a lot of people voice. yeah like the the um the accuracy and precision and the honorific nature of that precision and accuracy is something that i don't i haven't seen replicated anywhere else in the world mm. uh, at all you know Kiefer, you know what's really interesting about the samurai becoming an, an upper class is that the filipinos during pre-colonization were also known as the upper class for that culture and that society so like uh, i always thought the term datu or datu sorry datu is how you say it um 
was just like a, a singular chief, mm. you know, that led a group, a, a tribe, yeah? But actually, this chief, these Datus, were actually an upper class group. And they were the ones that were going, well, it was uh, uh, Datu Lapu Lapu mm -hmm. who stabbed Magellan in the neck. Yep. You know? Um, and to, to, to hear these parallels with Japan, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing, man. I think if you went, if you went back to pre-unified Japan and then probably even further back into when it was more like, not nomadic, but like tribal, mm. I think there'd be a lot of similarities with the Philippines. True. In, in the way they kind of, that coast cultures. Cause I mean, the Chinese thought that the Japanese, you know, way, way back were backwards. Right. Hence, hence why the, the name Nihon, which originally came from China, because it was what they called them, or well, called them from the rising sun, or yeah. land of the rising sun type yeah. thing. Yeah. But before that, they called them something else that was really insulting. Oh, right. It was like backward people from, you know, the mountains or something. Like there was some some right. some name that the Chinese had to them because when they came and traded with them. Yeah. Um, very early on. Yeah, yeah. Super, super long, long time ago. Yeah. Um, they were kind of looked on as kind of these, um, almost the way the Ainu were looked on by modern Japan. Yeah. You know, or not modern Japan, but feudal Japan. Yeah. Savages, um, brutes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That they were the uncultured, you know, people living on this island somewhere that, you know, had nothing to contribute and were just, you know. <laughs> Barbarians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is probably the way a, the, a lot of people saw the Filipinos. Yeah, yeah. No, that's exactly. And even within Filipino culture itself. Mm. So these Datus you know the 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 uh there there is a term for for that group of people like like Indone Indonesia A and B I think they mm -hmm. were called like you know that they were more Malay than they were um I forget the term for our other indigenous group you know so now we're all known as Filipinos but like even the Philippines as an indigenous group that were thought of as savages within themselves yeah. you know before colonialization happened so it's the way it's the way modern australia looks at bogans man man they're, they're savage brutes man it's it's, are, man. it's kind of sad because yeah. it's funny this brings us back to shinsekai yeah you know like you know like i think for me personally i'm riffing off this idea that the whole homogenization of the world mm -hmm. is because of smartphones and social media yeah right that all of a sudden it isn't cool to say things because we we are all quite i think cultures right around the world are quite um self-deprecating mm. to where they come from with their roots especially the younger generation because yeah. they're trying to they're trying to branch out they're trying to like do their own thing so they don't care that they have this rich they come from a, a place with a strong, rich history. You mm. know, they're like, fuck that. I want to do my own shit. But then you've got the power of social media, you know, and corporate backing and whatnot that sort of programs them in a different way that, like, TV used to program us, yeah. you know? like. Well, it's interesting that, you know, the I guess specifically with, with people who are maybe, like, second-generation-born ethnic groups in Australia, mm. um, that... <coughs> there's this real push and pull with cultural heritage yes. in, in a way of like some people you know you meet and 
they they might look like they they've come right out of you know Sudan or somewhere and they're the most Aussie speaking English people you've ever heard. Like it's like and it blows you away for a minute. But then there's some people who want to push back against that and want to use their cultural heritage to to identify themselves as well. So there's this real mm-hmm. like fracturing that happens where you have a group of of a minority uh, of immigrants who are, who are born in the country who want to adapt and, and be like that or have just vicariously become that because they live here and they've been born here. And then you have people who are really like want to keep their cultural heritage and want that to be known to you, you know? Yeah, I'm going to have to pull it all back to Shinsekai, man. All roads lead to Shinsekai. All roads lead to the new world, yeah. man. And that the new world is in the old world. Mm. Because if everything's becoming homogenized, not only on a Japanese level, but on an international level, mm-hmm. then everyone's just going to sound the same, but look different. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then the only differences where we will start to look this after we start to look the same is our skin tone. Mm. And then if there's that, if the world becomes one country, for example, yeah, and we're colonizing other planets, like we go into that realm now, right? Then people will eventually end up looking the same because of all the cultures, have, all the genetics have mixed up, mm. right? And so when you go back to a place like Shinsekai, you can still hear remnants of the old Osaka. Yeah. And it'll, you know, despite it having a, a stigma on it, you know, it's like Bogan, Australia. Mm. But like, to be honest, I find it a lot more interesting and a, I have better interactions with these so-called racist Bogans, you know, or, you know, like whatever other terrible adjectives are, are, are pronounced with, with, uh, with yeah. Boganism, you know, but it's kind of like, nah, that's like, that's the strong Australian culture. Yeah, well, you, if you look back, like, Australia, Australian culture really is based on the working class. Mm. You know, there's this um, incredible pride, uh, at least in the 20th century, probably since Federation. Mm. And, he, and even going back to, like, you know, people who came out gold diggers, you know, looking for, for gold in Ballarat, things mm. like that. And you've got convicts and, and uh, settlers who came here as, like, farmers who were trying to, like, basically come out to what could be seen as, like, a barren wasteland to try and make a living. Mm. You know, it's very hard-working, tough people. Mm. Um, that that really is what makes Australian culture because the, the upper class of Australian culture is essentially the British. Yes. And there's no real culture to that. Mm. It's just monarchy, essentially. You mm. know? Um, so this, there's a weird, like, shame and endearment in this, <laughs> like, Aussie battler-type image <laughs> yeah. like that... Um, we are still kind of like, uh, you know, Australia is a new culture really still like it's, and it's an incredibly multicultural culture. Yes. So like we're constantly having people come and, um, sort of contribute mm. to that. Uh, so it, it's like this, like cultural identity is quite fragile mm. in a lot of ways, mm. um, which makes, it makes it a real hot pot when multiculturalism happens because you have these people who are kind of like stuck in this, like you know, the racist way of thinking, like these Bogan guys, or, mm. you know, however you want to, want to call it, um, wanting to uh, definitely just, like, things should be the way they were or, you know, things have to stay away they are. But, like, that culture is constantly, like, that's not something that's a culture, really. It's a, it's a mode of living. Yeah, right. That people from other cultures engage with and still keep their 
their like their actual cultural heritage as well mm. so it contribute to it it's, a, it's weird it's not like any other country I don't, don't think in that mm. way mm-hmm. because like quintessential Australianism is like the outback yeah and that's not the mo- that's not most Australians yes the majority of us live in cities yes suburbs yes um, the guys in the country are a whole other whole other kettle of fish man they're yeah. like serious like committed to that you know man from snowy river type yeah type yeah line. so it's interesting, you know, like, we've kind of uncovered a, unearthed a whole nother can of worms there. If that's yeah, sort of, uh, yeah we're trying to wrap this up. We're trying to wrap yeah. this up. But, yeah, I think, man, you know, like, that's an interesting thing to explore eventually because, like, I think we are going to have to, as a collective conscious, go back to our roots mm. and really start to reflect and yeah. reassess the best parts of it if anything just to unite the zeitgeist in this country you know like mm. that there is this 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 shame feeling especially like um i Peel being uh really incensed at crocodile dundee being our cultural icon <laughs> to the rest of the world you know <laughs> this is relevant with that whole dundee ad campaign that's happening at the moment that they're using to kind of advertise tourism right um, i didn't know that yeah, yeah yeah it's been a big thing what made this sort of like fake movie trailer for a Dundee reboot to try and they're going to use it in the Super Bowl in the States right. but that's our cultural ambassador right yeah. and when people think Australian they think Paul Hogan and Crocodile Dundee right yeah, yeah. so like I remember growing up and having like Steve Irwin Mm. being our cultural ambassador yeah people being really angry at that like that's not us that's not Australia it's a real shame that that's the image they have of us so we're uncivilized mm, that we're right, wrestling okay. crocs in the outback and all this stuff it's kind of like um, you know imagine if uh, the Philippines like everyone thought they were barbarians yeah, you know, yeah, who yeah. cut off explorers heads and you know ate them and stuff you know yeah. it'd be quite like true in a way, yeah, but yeah. also not who they are now. No, that's exactly right. So there's like this outdated paradigm yes. that we have that Australians are these 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 really tough blokes out in the, out in the bush, and and there's this like middle class to upper middle class Australians who are quite like ashamed of that. Yeah. And like I had that for a long time, man. I was really ashamed of that image for a long time. Right. And uh, being a nerdy boy from the suburbs, man. Like of course, like I didn't want people in overseas thinking I was some sort of backwards redneck or something. Yeah, like, yeah, but, yeah. Like. Over time, man, that's become so endearing to me now. Like, there's right? this real honesty and, like, true-heartedness, even though, like, people can be misguided mm. in that way. And, and, again, like, can bring up the racist stuff and all like that. Yeah. It's definitely an old-world mm. way of thinking. Mm. Uh, but there is a, a fair go, you know, the, all, these, all these values that are kind of, like, we hear all the time in Australia that come from that farmhand, outback kind of, you know, uh, stereotype. Exactly right. Which... Is not how most Australians think, though. You know, it's kind of like it's like this odds of it. It's at butting heads all the time. Yes, you know? yes. And we haven't reconciled that. And I mean, there's so many things we haven't reconciled in this country. But like that, and like especially like I mean, and we we could go on for ages about this and about like white Australian cultural identity and how mm-hmm. that being unreconciled leads to disenfranchisement and mm-hmm. then leads to extremism, mm-hmm. uh, which mm-hmm. is what we're seeing mm-hmm. with like the true blue patriots and all that. Yeah. And this is going way off, but you no, know, no, it's all totally um, related. It's it's a symptom of the modern world, like that that kind of stuff. Having uh, right wing groups rise up is a kickback to what we're talking about because they're seeing their culture under threatened 
by multiculturalism, which they see as a symptom of, of the new world, yes. of this new technology, people being able to move countries easier than ever before. Yes. And uh, there's this like protectionist, xenophobic thing that's, that's rising up yeah. because of that. And that's because uh, these people are really afraid at the end of the day. Yeah. They're afraid of losing what they think is Australia or yeah. the Australian culture. Yeah. Uh, which is always just painted off as racism. But there's real like psychological and cultural reasons of why course. this shit happens, man. Of course, man. That nah. just sort of like need to be talked about because like we're entering this whole new world where like things are just going to get more and more sort of like, you know, mixed up in terms of races and people yep. moving uh, that... Um, you know, even in the States with the whole, like, the Trump stuff and all that. Like, yeah. this stuff needs to kind of be looked at and talked about and not just written off as, like, colonialist, you know, white people who are angry. Exactly. But a symptom. Because it's happened before. Exactly. In other countries. Exactly. And you can say it happened in Japan. Exactly. When they started kicking the Christians out. There we because go. they didn't want things to change. There we it was go. a threat to power, right? You said it, man. You know... Uh, not that it's right. Not that it's morally no, 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 right. No, 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 no. And anything, yeah. anything. But it needs to be looked at in a way that, like, this is a... a problem that happens because of culture and because of change and needs to be uh, sort of examined academically yes i i agree with you wholeheartedly man because you know excuse me for taking a bit of a conspiracy theory <laughs> uh approach to what i'm about to say but it's like it's quite technically that that tribal mm, enemy yeah. of the whole divide and conquer concept yeah that the elites we're trying to use on natives while colonizing their country. Yep. But now this modern day colonization, <coughs> yeah, whilst it's still happening from the top, the new government is not the government. Mm. It is the corporations, yep. you know? And so while we're like posting up hate videos and racist remarks and, you know, protest things, online and being loud and saying they are the enemy we're actually losing sight of the bigger picture which is yeah. a true unity between us yeah yeah you know like i think and this is it's, it's quite difficult but it's like it was supposed to come up earlier on but now it's perfect time to say it it's like in japan you have east and west with such a distinct mm. border yeah right that it's that border starting to become that grey zone of Japan, mm. but you've got this goth-looking, tattooed, punk, hybrid Japanese kid speaking with a very traditional Japanese mother. Let's get a bit more zen with our candor, yeah? Yeah. No it's, more no more this racist Yeah, yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. We but we you know, we had to go through through the fog, you know, yeah. through the fog of war <laughs> to reach the uh, the summit of this of this conversation, <laughs> this candor, yeah. But it's it's quite literally that yin yang, man. Mm. It's that yin yang and, and you know there's there's time associated with that. There's, there's a whole lot of change, constant change and settling down and, you know, this constant back and forth of opposing forces. And I think that, you know, like these traditional, not quite traditional, but like these, these stories, these tales from our history 
of our histories mm. is now can now be applied to how things are happening in this modern age but now with technology and with with the mixing of people you know like yeah. well, it's um <coughs> these these things are um, uncommon in history mm. you know and there's always somewhere you can look back at and see you know you substitute one thing for something else you substitute Magellan for the internet for yep. example you know or yep. you, you substitute uh, I don't mean to be like just random thing but no, like, no, no. as in terms of like a a game changer, mm. like something that's going to totally, uh, irrevocably change a society mm. and bring it into a modernized world, mm. like a European explorer arriving on a boat, yes. you know, bringing a new religion, mm. um, stuff like that, uh, has a fundamental effect that's the same, you yeah. know, uh, and you can look back at, at the, these histories, uh, these different countries and see a lot of parallels yes. to now. I agree. And to what's happening, and kind of like start to understand better mm. that this is a this is a symptom of the human race mm. and our interactions with everyone else, mm -hmm. and national identity, mm -hmm. you know, our cultural identity, all these things. They're not they're things that have already happened in other places. You know, yes. through colonialism, through uh, you know invasion, yes. Genghis Khan, the Mongol Empire, going through and destroying cultures by mm. you know trying to get the Greeks, you know, like Alexander the Great and. People like that. This has all happened before, mm. just in a much more bloodier way. Yeah, and I guess now it's happening on a on a much more micro level, mm. where this this data and sort of fake knowledge, so to speak, mm -hmm. or knowledge without wisdom. Sorry yeah. to get philosophical on you guys. We're trying to we're trying to wrap up this this episode, but yeah, you know, it's like now it's it, it's spreading out quite rapidly and i think you know it's a good it's a good time for people like ourselves and and everyone else to start sort of thinking along these lines because there definitely needs to be a change for 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 the for the betterment of planet earth really you know i think, I think man like you know uh, you know one of the reasons you and me talk about this stuff uh, is is just to sort of like throw ideas out there to people that may not have considered uh, looking at these things in a certain way. I mean, you and me, like, you know, you look at this, we're broadcasting over the internet on a phone, mm -hmm. and, you know, you're a Filipino-Australian, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a white Australian, mm -hmm. you know, and we both have a spiritual home in a very specific point in yeah. Osaka. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, it's you a know? trip, bro, it's a and trip. And, we, you know, fate or whatever has has brought us together in that way, and we're talking about this stuff and, and, and tying it into something that's quite, you know, massively philosophical Mm. Uh, for for our current age, mm. so like, um, I think you know we live in a we live in a good time to talk mm. about that stuff mm -hmm. and to you know bring this stuff up and just sort of discuss it in a way that's not this is this this is that or it's black and white that there is um, you know a grey area to look at and to sort of discuss about and kind of look back on like when have these things happened before when why does it happen. You know, why culturally the things happen. Mm. You know, and we could talk about Japan like that for hours and hours and hours, man. Because that's the truth for you guys. So, brother man, any last words before we wrap up today's episode? Oh, yeah, man, I got a word. Yeah, I got the exact word. Because we're going to bring this up earlier because we, we got totally sidetracked. Yeah. So when we, we started this and started talking about, you know, words that couldn't or aren't translated into English well. Yes. And uh, one of the German ones I found, which I'm going to like totally mispronounce because I'm not German, uh, I think it's uh, Kummerspeck. 
mm. uh, which uh, literally translates to sorrow bacon. Sorrow bacon. Sorrow bacon. Uh, Whoa. That sounds delicious, man. Yeah, right? <laughs> it's like one really shit thing and one really great thing. Yeah. Like, smashed together, sorrow bacon. Uh, which translates into a concept of uh, when you emotionally overeat and you, you uh, gain weight. So say someone gets fired from their job and they start binging on Krispy Kremes, <laughs> you know, and they gain, you know, a couple pounds and that, and you go, oh, kumuspek, like, yeah, of course. Oh, yeah, now I get it. Yeah, that's why right. he's put on weight. Yeah. That's why he's gained weight. Wow, that is... that is tells you, tells you a lot about how the Germans deal with their feelings, though, right? Yeah, yeah, like, and... Are they... Are they, are they are, are, do they have Nordic roots, the Germans? Uh, is it Nordic? Is Anglo-Saxon. Anglo-Saxon, yeah, yeah, Anglo-Saxon, yeah. So that's how that warrior class probably mm. dealt with their sorrow, <laughs> you know, by eating sorrow bacon, you know, and gaining weight, and then training it off like the militant yeah. people know, that man, they are. My European history is not as good as my Japanese history. That's I can all tell good. you that, man. Well, you and I both, you know. Well, <laughs> well since we're on them, we're sort of trying to end on a bit of a lighter note. Yeah. Um, here's another word that was recently... Um, Absorbed into the Oxford Dictionary. Thank you to the Americans for that. <laughs> that was a bad joke, sorry. Oxford, yeah, Oxford, you heard in my accent, I'm not... Yeah, it's a bad joke, sorry, man. Um, right, is, the word, is the word Kilig, right? It's a Philippine... Kilig. Kilig. And it's funny because Google, Google now um, has a, a, has a actual translation for it, and it is Romantic Excitement. You know, so that feeling, that that feeling of exhilaration or elation, you know, that's caused when you see like a love scene or you, yeah. you see two people interact, you know, like. So it's like when you're looking at someone else. Yeah. Not, not like not like your own like first love. Feeling, yeah. No. Like, no. Looking, no like, like voyeuristically. At yeah. Yeah. He's like, ooh, you oh, know, that's so like, Filipino, man. That's totally Filipino. That's so man. Filipino. And I think that's the kind of approach we need to sort of take. You know, both. I, I can't say the German word anymore. Do you remember how to say Kummerspect. it? Kummerspect. We need to take this Kummerspect and this Kielig and like start to explore that part of, you know, the human condition because English, you, English as a language has been a bit slack in uh, providing these concepts to English speakers. It's too many words, man. It's too many words. But, I mean... Over-explaining everything. Yeah. You just need one word. One I mean, word. And that one feeling. You know, like that feeling... There should be a word for, like, when you're absolutely shattered, your footy team's lost. Yeah, yeah. You know, there should be a word for road rage. <laughs> you know, that's not road rage, you know? That's not... not that's that annoyance you get when someone doesn't start, you know, take off at a traffic light soon enough. Yeah, we you need know? to go back, I feel... Like, to the days when words like struth yeah. and fair dinkum were being invented, yeah. you know, and actually make them part of the Australian language. Like, yeah, people say, oh, you speak Australian. Yeah. But, like, how many people actually speak Australian? Nah, that say that, you know? We're talking about some real deal, like, underground, like, crocodile, Dundee... <laughs> Friggin... What the fuck is Dundee, man? Is that the word? It probably is, yeah. man. I'm going to find the book. I'm sure the, the book's lying around here of, like, Aussie slang from a book written in the 40s, bro. That'll have maybe a lot of gold. Maybe that's what we should explore next episode. I think we should. We should man. go through, have a look at some 1940s slang, yeah. and just sort of, like, have a guess what it means. Yes. Yeah. 
we should do that, man. Guys, thank you for tuning into K and A. I am. My name's Anthony. And my name's Kiefer. And stay tuned for more future episodes of K and A. Bye.